Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. everyone. I see it's 11 o'clock central time. I'm just going to give everyone another minute or two to get connected and then we'll get started. Thanks for your patience. Okay, I think we'll go ahead and get started. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Artis's second quarter 2021 results webcast. My name is Heather Nickel and I'm Vice President of Investor Relations at Artis. With me today is Artis's CEO, Samir Manji, CFO, Jacqueline Koenig, COO, Kim Riley, and Executive Vice President, US Region, Phil Martins. Shortly, I'll be turning the floor over to Samir for opening remarks, after which there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please click on the raise hand button at the bottom of your screen. You will then be placed in the queue. And when it's your turn, you'll be brought into the meeting to ask your question with audio only. Your camera will not be enabled. Our second quarter 2021 results were disseminated yesterday and are available on CEDAR and on Artists' website. Before we get started, please be reminded that today's discussion may include forward-looking statements. Such statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied today. We have identified such factors in our public filings with the securities regulators and suggest that you refer to those filings. As we discuss our performance, please keep in mind that all figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. I would also like to note that today's webcast is being recorded and a replay will be available on our website later this afternoon until Thursday, November 4th. With that, I will turn the discussion over to Samir. Thank you, Heather. Good morning to those in the West and good afternoon to those in the East. Welcome and thank you for joining us for our second quarter 2021 results webcast. We recognize that most of you have reviewed already the results. So in being mindful of your time, we're gonna follow a similar format to our last quarterly call. I'll keep my comments brief and we'll then transition to our Q&A session. 
During the quarter, we made strong progress in executing our business transformation plan. We completed several significant strategic dispositions, including the announced sale of our GTA industrial portfolio. Of the 28 property portfolio, 26 closed on July 15th. One is expected to close in the third quarter of this year, and one is no longer under sale agreement and will be marketed for sale. The GTA industrial sale will generate an increase to our taxable income. As such, we expect to make a special distribution to unit holders. The amount and form of such distributions will be determined later in the year, as our taxable income will be dependent on activity to be completed throughout the remainder of the year. In the second quarter, we also entered into an unconditional sale agreement for two smaller industrial properties in Winnipeg, which closed subsequent to the quarter, and an unconditional sale agreement for two retail properties in Regina, which is expected to close later this month. Also during the quarter, we were very pleased to have broken ground on Blaine 35, a nearly 320,000 square foot, three building industrial development project on Interstate 35 in Minneapolis. In terms of our balance sheet and liquidity, at June 30th, we reported improvements to two key performance indicators that are critical to the execution of our business transformation plan. The first is net asset value, which increased to $16.78 per unit from $15.03 at December 31st, 2020, primarily due to the fair value gain on investment properties, net operating income, and the impact of units purchased under the NCIB. The second key metric is debt to gross book value, which decreased to 47.5% from 49.3% at December 31st, 2020. During the quarter, we continued to use our NCIB to buy back 2.9 million common units and 49,000 preferred units. And lastly, we began to accumulate a position in our first public security investment and look forward to building upon that investment and focusing on our value investing strategy as part of the next phase of our business transformation plan. We've accomplished a lot since the announcement of our new strategy in March, but there is still a lot of work to be done. We continue to focus on identifying and optimizing operational efficiencies, both with respect to our portfolio of properties and internally as it relates to our policies, procedures, and realigning roles and responsibilities to support our new vision and strategy. In June, we published our annual ESG report, and under the stewardship of our Chief Operating Officer, Kim Riley, we've taken significant strides towards prioritizing and enhancing our ESG initiatives while determining how we can better serve our tenants and create value for our, own, our owners. We are pleased with what has been accomplished so far, and we're confident in the strategy and the team we have in place at Artis. We look forward to continuing to demonstrate our ability to execute our plan and to deliver on our commitment to create long-term value for our owners. That concludes my remarks. I will turn it back to Heather to moderate our Q&A session.
Thank you, Samir. Uh, just as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please click on the raise hand button at the bottom of your screen and you'll be placed in the queue and brought into the meeting when it's your turn. There may be a momentary delay while your audio is connecting and please remember to unmute your line at the appropriate time. Okay, our first question is from Jonathan Kelcher with TD Securities. Jonathan, you can go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, first question, just um, on the Toronto Industrial, why, why was that one property dropped? We had, uh, in the late stages of the process, uh, we had a couple of technical related items that came up uh, specific to one property that we're confident uh, can be addressed. But in collaboration uh, or, or conversation with the buyer, we collectively agreed that we didn't want to delay closing and it was uh, best for us to simply remove that asset from the mix so as to stay with the timeline and the agreement that we had with the buyer. So to wrap up by July 15th, it just uh, made practical sense to remove the asset from the overall mix. Okay, do you anticipate any issues selling that asset this year? No. Okay. Um, and you talked about uh, having to do a, a special distribution. You said the amount and form um, still to be determined. What, what form could it take? What are the different forms it could take? I think the, the uh, practical reality is that uh, it could, it would likely uh, be a cash distribution, but uh, there have been examples in the past where uh, special distributions have taken the form of units, as you're aware, Jonathan, uh, with then a consolidation of the units on the other end. Uh, but we're still working through all of that and anticipate we'll be able to report back uh, towards the back end of the year. Okay. And then I guess my, my last question, you, you started buying securities this, this quarter and, and bought some more post quarter, um, but didn't, didn't say what they were. So I'm, I'm guessing you're not going to tell me now, but at what, um, at what level in, of investment has the board decided that um, unit holders should know what the, the company is buying or what artist is buying? Yeah, just in terms of the strategy with respect to investing in public securities, you know, we're mindful of a number of factors at play there. Uh, and under the uh, guidance and stewardship of the uh, Board of Trustees, uh, we intend to remain muted in uh, publicly uh, declaring or disclosing the specific securities uh, for obvious reasons, including uh, the ability we want to continue to have in the interests of unit holders, of artists, to be able to accumulate at optimal uh, prices. And we wouldn't want to come out prematurely to disclose what we are acquiring, uh, knowing that there is a possibility that doing so could cause a potential fluctuation in the price of the shares or units of the uh, investee company. And so uh, I think for the time being, one should anticipate that uh, in all likelihood, we would only come out and declare 
the name of a specific investee company if and when we were required to uh, from a regulatory perspective. And generally that would uh, translate into us if at any point uh, getting to uh, a point where we cross 10% ownership uh, in that investee company to, uh, to then come forward and, and provide that disclosure. I think generally one should make that assumption. It could change, but uh, I think um, that, would, that would be my expectation. Okay, so if, if uh, now has Sandpiper, is Sandpiper buying alongside artists in, in this investment? And is the, um, in your example, if, if the two entities combined hit 10%, is that get disclosed or can you both go to nine without, uh, without disclosing anything? First part of the question, uh, it'll vary uh, investment to investment. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we have a process that has been established with the investment committee of the board uh, and the board as a whole to ensure that uh, one, there's full disclosure insofar as uh, Sandpiper's involvement with any uh, prospective investee entity. And secondly, insofar as the strategy that we choose to pursue on the artist front. In some instances, it would entail a co-investment and in other instances, it wouldn't. Uh, we'll ensure uh, in that regard that there is adequate disclosure uh, based on what has been agreed to uh, between artists uh, and, uh, and Sandpiper. Okay, so is Sandpiper co-investing in, in this investment with artists? Uh, yes. Okay. Is it is it a 50-50 or what's the what's the split? Yes, 50-50. Okay. So you've you've between the two entities you've bought 36 or 37 million dollars worth of uh, shares. I, I think subsequent to quarter end, uh, Jonathan, there was a second investee company identified. And so uh, there, there would be uh, a separate breakdown that uh, would not relate just to the first investee company. And in the second investee company, uh, there is not a co-investment uh, uh, agreement or arrangement in place. Okay, thanks, I'll, uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, our next question is from Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Sorry, just a minute here. Okay. Matt, uh, please go ahead with your question. Thank you and good morning. Um, in terms of the special distribution, can you tell us the taxable income um, inclusive of the recapture and the capital gains? I'm not sure we're uh, ready to provide those details, but I will pass it over to Jackie to see if she'd like to comment. We have, we're working with our advisors on initial estimates, um, but again, I don't think um, we have the full details ready to be disclosed. Okay, um, maybe changing gears in terms of your IFRS cap rate for uh, your GTA industrial portfolio. Can you talk about how that compares to the transaction cap rate um, for the deal? Because it seems like the IFRS cap rate is a little bit higher than uh, what we've you know heard or you know have calculated ourselves. I can take that one, Matt. Um, the cap rate that we discussed previously was based on in-place income. The rates disclosed in our MDNA table are based on stabilized income. And that factors in an increase in our in-place rents in the quarter um, in comparison to our market rents. Appreciate you, Heller, Jackie. Uh, in terms of the proceeds from that sale, a lot of that seems to be allocated towards deleveraging. Do you have a specific leverage target for say year-end 2021 and year-end 2022? We don't have a specific uh, target. What we had previously conveyed, Matt, was that there was a desire to see leverage uh, uh, be well below 50%. And we are certainly uh, now sub 50 and on our way uh, further down from where we uh, are at quarter end. Uh, I would say that more importantly, what this allows for, as we had presented uh, in our March a presentation on the go forward plan and strategy is fortifying the balance sheet and providing us with uh, a strong level of flexibility financially to be able to uh, pursue and explore investment opportunities that we think would provide uh, significant above average risk adjusted returns and value creation for unit holders. And last question for me, Jonathan had asked about your level of disclosure with respect to public securities. While you're not going to disclose until you hit a regulatory threshold, is there a point where the materiality of the securities investments, um, I don't know if that's in the tens of millions or hundreds of millions, is there a point where you'd consider disclosing more to unit holders? 
It's a good question. By the way, I didn't uh, cover one piece of uh, Jonathan's uh, earlier question uh, related to whether that 10% threshold would be uh, artists alone or in situations where there is a co-invest with Sandpiper. Uh, it is the aggregate because in our view, there would be uh, joint influence uh, in light of the relationship between artists and Sandpiper. So if at any point on a specific investee entity, collectively we cross 10%, uh, whether it would be required from a regulatory and security standpoint or not, we're gonna take the more conservative approach and provide that disclosure. And then Matt, going to your question, I think it's early days. Uh, we have $4.9 billion of assets at quarter end on our balance sheet. And so, you know, with a $6 million line item at June 30th, uh, and even if that were to uh, go into the tens of millions of dollars, I don't think from a materiality standpoint relative to our overall asset base, uh, that would happen in the near term. Having said that, certainly if over a period of a number of years, this were to become uh, under the board's stewardship and strategic direction, a larger proportion of the overall asset base, then of course, you know, that may change the thinking and methodology that we choose to pursue. Appreciate the commentary, I'll turn the call back. Thank you. Okay, the next question is from Mike Marquitas with Desjardins. Mike, you can go ahead. Yeah, just wanted to unmute. Thank you, Heather, um, and good uh, good day to everybody. So, Samir, I was just wondering, it's been incredibly active. Well, first of all, um, you guys executed extremely rapidly on monetizing your GTA portfolio. I know you've talked about wanting to monetize most of it um, in some way, shape or form in a relatively quick time manner. And then south of the border, we're seeing a tremendous amount of activity, uh, both in terms of um, entire portfolio sales and creation of funds, um, which seem to, um, I guess, in my opinion, um, perhaps um, disadvantage unit holders. So just, just wondering if you've been reviewing those transactions, what you've seen, and uh, if that has, um, influenced your strategy with respect to uh, how you look at the U.S. industrial portfolio uh, going forward. Thank you. Sure, Mike, can you clarify uh, how you, you made reference to being disadvantageous to unit? Can, can you just expand on that? Um, sure. I would just make the comment that it would seem to me that um, sales of complete portfolios, 100% interest seem to be done at higher values, lower cap rates, better uh, price per foot than perhaps uh, seeding funds would. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'm clear on the on, on that point, but that's okay. Uh, I, I'll simply make a quick comment and I'll pass it over to Phil uh, to provide some additional color on the U.S. industrial market, which I think uh, most are, are familiar with. Our decision to uh, embark on the GTA industrial sale as part of that uh, critical first step in executing our go forward strategy and plan. Uh, we've spoken about previously and had a, a, a very a strong motivation on our part to be able to, as you noted, accelerate initially 
uh, that uh, first set of steps we were taking uh, from an implementation standpoint. And I think, uh, as they say, the rest is history. I think we achieved a, a very positive outcome for the owners of the REIT. Uh, we achieved a very solid outcome insofar as uh, that objective of solidifying and fortifying the balance sheet and our liquidity position. Uh, you know, that, that affords us today incredible uh, flexibility, but also um, firepower to be able to explore and potentially capitalize on opportunities that surface and or are presented to us uh, with a level of nimbleness and uh, um, a strategic uh, benefit that should, over time, if we're successful, uh, allow us to achieve things that, frankly, uh, I don't believe would otherwise be achievable uh, when it comes to that value investing theme that we've spoken about uh, previously. But but I'll, I'll leave my comments to your question there, and I'll pass it over to Phil uh, to talk about U.S. industrial. It's a big topic, and uh, uh, there's a lot of markets right now <clears throat> that are very interesting uh, to investors. And one of the things that we have enjoyed, of course, is how the Phoenix market has moved up to the top five of overall interest. We've seen some substantial amount of influx in demographics uh, because of COVID and uh, how different states respond to it has actually had a, quite a significant impact on how industrial is perceived in various markets. I would say that you know being in Texas and in Arizona and Colorado has been very good for us. That isn't to say that Minnesota is any different. Uh, Minnesota, we've had different um, types of positive impacts, particularly with a certain buyer um, taking down a lot of space and allowing market rents to be pushed up. And that's emboldened us not only to raise our own rents there and make our portfolio that much more um, profitable, but also uh, we've also continued, like Samir had mentioned, to uh, exercise our development arm, so to speak, in that market. And uh, yes, industrial or multifamily are very, very strong throughout the U.S., and yet the appetite uh, is strong. We're seeing rent rates also matching the what you're also probably hearing uh, with supply chain difficulties, issues such as uh, metal, in some cases, timber for industrial and also insulation. So we're happy to see that the amount of activity, both in sales, but also in leasing, are working well together. Uh, I can't really speak to uh, overall any type of generalizations because for one generalization, there is an opposite one. So we're nonetheless very excited that we're focusing our development activities right now in Texas and Arizona and Minnesota. Okay, and I guess, thank you for that, Phil. And I guess previously you guys have talked about, um, I can't remember exactly, but I think you said you wanted to monetize or unlock the value in your industrial portfolio within a fairly rapid time frame. Um, so notwithstanding your comments, Samir, about being now uh, having that flexibility to start executing on other elements of your plan, um, what would your update be in terms of uh, the industrial portfolio? Which should we still be expecting most of that to be disposed of within the next six to 12 months? No, I think, uh, uh, and thanks for clarifying that part of your question, Mike. I don't anticipate that in the near term, uh, we are going to be in any rush, uh, having achieved the outcome that we did with the GTA industrial sale and also 
We talked about nimbleness earlier, having also observed what even in the last few months, uh, post our March announcement, we have continued to witness, uh, including what Phil just referenced. We're going to uh, uh, take uh, our time uh, going forward uh, now that we've got uh, close to uh, $800 million of liquidity on our balance sheet. Uh, we're going to take our time and be opportunistic in terms of both deployment of capital, but also insofar as a further significant uh, dispositions. There are uh, smaller dispositions of a strategic nature that uh, are underway, uh, and uh, that will continue. But insofar as the large-scale portfolio-based uh, divestitures that we uh, would be considering on a preemptive or proactive basis, uh, that's not something we uh, expect, uh, certainly not for the balance of 2021. Okay, thank you. And um, last one for me before I turn it back. Um, realize there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty in the office world, but it would seem that um, the U.S. is ahead of Canada on the reopening front. And I was wondering um, if uh, any of the artist team could compare and contrast what they're seeing with respect to office leasing activity in uh, the U.S. portfolio in Canada. Sure, I'll let uh, I'll let Kim start with Canada, and then we'll invite Phil to talk about the U.S. Thanks, Samir. So I would say I would agree that the U the U.S. is ahead of Canada, but we're we're catching up. Our vaccination rates are higher, and so you know we're starting to see things open up. Obviously, Alberta has opened wide up, um, and Manitoba has followed recently uh, on Saturday. I guess we're announcing that we're removing our mask mandate and even the uh, return to the office. So the government is actually re recommending that businesses get people back in the office. So that's great to see. And I think that'll boost activity. Um, it is relatively slow. It's generally slow over the summer, but we're starting to see it pick up. Um, but I think as we head into the fall, so artists particularly has a return to the office plan for September. So we're excited to get people back in the office in September and see activity pick up downtown and in the leasing market. So I think as we move into the fall, we'll see that activity pick up. I'll turn it over to Phil to comment on what he's seeing in the US. In the last, I would say six to eight months, yes, there's been uh, a lot more activity in office for us, leasing and also occupancy in our buildings. Um, we're now at a, another strange moment with this next surge and so there is uh, a heightened caution in the last two weeks here in the U.S. overall. Again, how states handle it has been very different. Uh, and for example, the difference between Minnesota and Texas is, 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 a, is quite different. Uh, and so we are watching that. Uh, so far, we are still seeing that for our larger tenants, September 1 is still the goal to return to the office. We don't know currently whether or not this uh, variant is going to uh, delay that. We won't be surprised if it does, uh, but we're watching that closely. Uh, not to say that, I mean, we have had some good leasing done uh, in the office markets uh, in Phoenix, and we're having good activity in Madison and Minneapolis as well. And that does include um, even in Minneapolis near our CBD markets. So we're, I'm encouraged actually how busy this summer was, uh, be it also industrial, but clearly also office we've been watching very closely.
Mike, you're just on mute in case you're trying to, uh, if you have a follow-up. No, that, that's it for me. My hand's uh, lowered. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Okay, there are no further questions at this time, so we'll conclude today's webcast. If you have any further questions after the call, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or Samir. And thank you all for joining us. We wish you a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.